Welcome to the Apostolic Keynote Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 13, because we're going to look at a few verses that are very well known and often quoted. But what God is concerned about is to what extent is the nature of his love being reproduced in us and among us. Now, we always have to remember when we talk about the love of God that this is a relationship that we have vertically with him, love for God, his love for us, that is then reflected in our relationships horizontally, our love for one another. These two things in Scripture are indivisible. If you love God, you will love your brother also. If you don't love your brother, you do not love God. It's as simple as that. So we have to ensure, as far as we are able, that Not only are we in right relationship with God, but also in right relationship with others. Now, to be in right relationship doesn't mean that there's simply no problems between us. You know, if there's some issue that arises within a relationship, you know that that relationship is affected and it's not really back where it needs to be until that issue is resolved. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. I mean, that is, of course, an important aspect of our relationships. But loving one another is is not simply ensuring that there aren't issues between us. It's a positive thing. It's not just dealing with the negatives. That we are laying down our lives for our friends, that we are living for others and not ourselves that we are blessing and giving and serving and doing everything positively that is an expression of the love of God because this is the way he loves us. And you see, the scripture is very clear that we are to love one another in the same way that he loves us. Now, we can look at this from our behavioral point of view. But we need to really look at it from a spiritual perspective. This is what God is wanting to reproduce in me by his spirit. How far am I allowing him to do that? In what way am I cooperating with him so that becomes a reality? It's not simply that I am trying to be in good, right relationships with others. So... Paul talks here with what is usually called the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, of course, is what the Spirit creates within us. So there's a recognition right at the beginning that this is not a matter of trying to be like these words describe, but of realizing that the more the Holy Spirit is actually flowing in our lives and through our lives, the more these qualities will be expressed in us. So if any one of them is lacking, 
It's because somehow the dynamic of the Holy Spirit is lacking. And that what we need is not just to try to address a particular problem, but to realize we need to be more open to the Holy Spirit and, and really flowing more freely in the Holy Spirit. Then all nine of these things will be expressed in our lives. And of course, this is not an exhaustive list because there's all kinds of other qualities of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned in other scriptures. But these nine things will give us enough to go on for one morning. So in verse 4 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, love is patient. Okay, now what does that mean? First of all, in relationship with God. Well, first, he is patient with you. In fact, he is exceedingly patient with you. In fact, he has always been massively patient with you. How many times has God spoken to you and you haven't taken any notice or you haven't responded to what he said or he's needed to repeat himself several times before you do? Take notice of what he's saying. He patiently, patiently waits. Some, you hear people sometimes say, well, I, I can't, it's as if heaven's gone quiet, I can't hear the voice of God. And nearly always the answer to that is, go back to the last thing you heard and see if you're doing it because sometimes God doesn't have anything more to say until you're doing what he's already said. Amen? So he patiently, he doesn't nag us. He's not like a nagging wife. He's, the devil nags. He, if, if, if you ever feel that something is nagging you, that's the devil. It's never the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just gently reminds us speaks with that still, small voice as to what God is saying to us and wanting to see reproduced in us. So he is infinitely patient. That's why he is so full of mercy. His mercies are new for us every day because he is patient with us every day. We fail him and get all kinds of stuff wrong. We get all full of ourselves and and so on. We don't need to rehearse all the sorry saga. But we know that God is so merciful, always patient. Now, relationships are a two-way thing. So God actually says, as I am patient with you, you are to be patient with me. You see, the scripture says that we inherit the promises of God by faith with patience. Hello? You see, sometimes people get impatient with God. Why haven't you done it, Lord? Why haven't you done it yet? We, we always want immediate answers to what we see needs to happen in our lives. And sometimes God in his wisdom 
is working out all kinds of things in our lives and in our circumstances before a promise is fulfilled, before it's right for that promise to be fulfilled. So we inherit the promises of God by faith with patience. Therefore, of course, we also have to be patient with one another. Amen? It's true of all of us that we are a work in progress. And it's amazing, you know, when we get something wrong, our attitude is, well, just be patient with me. You know, no, nobody ever gets everything right. Just, just be patient with me. Um, just be forgiving. Just be gracious. That's how we want people to treat us. So that's how we are always to treat other people. But it's amazing how we have always want people to be patient with us, but we're not always patient with them. We expect them, we want them to immediately dance to our tune, to be what we think they should be or be doing what we expect them to be doing. And just as we are a work in progress, so all those around you are a work in progress. And so we have to learn to be patient. If you see something that obviously is not going right in a brother or sister, then you pray for them and you believe that God will deal with whatever needs to be done. But never pray out of judgment for someone because God won't listen. Hello? It always has to be out of love because love is patient. This is an expression of love. So the more the love of God takes hold of our hearts, the more patient we become. I've, I've led, led a very busy life. And one of the things that really used to knock me was having to stand for long times in queues. Because, you know, my attitude was, I haven't got time for this. I've got so much to do. And uh, I used to be quite impatient about that. And then God said to me, well, it may be that I know you're in a queue. And that therefore I can use you when you are in a queue. So start praying for those around you who are in the queue. And sometimes, of course, you can have a God appointment in a queue. You find yourself standing next to someone you need to talk to or enter into a conversation which can sow some seeds of truth into their lives. And so I became, by the grace of God, a lot more patient. If my wife was here, she would tell you I'm a lot more patient. Than I, it wasn't that I was a very impatient person, but just in certain circumstances. But you see, the more the Holy Spirit takes hold of us, the more we express. It has to have practical application in our lives. There has to be practical fruit, if it's real. There's a whole lot of 
Christians say, you know, they're so almost proud about being filled with the Holy Spirit, but when you look at their lives, when you're sort of interacting with them, you think, well, goodness me, there doesn't seem to be that much fruit of the Spirit. So, not that you, you judge them, but it's just that you become aware of this. Um, I mean, the more, the more the Holy Spirit takes hold of your life, the more you are so aware of people in the world that lack the Spirit. Uh, but the danger, the danger is that you therefore begin to judge people. And as we know, we are never to judge them. There's no judgment uh, for us because all judgment belongs to Jesus. So love is kind. So God is very kind to you. Uh, I, I don't know, you, you know, it's, it's important when you're thanking God to thank him for all the ways in which he expresses his love to you. And this is one of the things I think that may get missed out a bit in some Christians, that they're not thanking God for his kindness. Lord, you're so kind to me. What is kindness? Kindness is caring. It's caring about someone. And because you care about them, you are kind to them. And so there's all kinds of ways. There's no time to go into a lot of detail. But there's all kinds of ways in which God cares for us, in which he expresses his kindness towards us. He doesn't deal with us as we deserve. Kindness is an aspect of his mercy and grace. But then because we're in this relationship with God, we have to be kind to him. Now, have you ever thought of that? How can you express kindness towards God? Because obviously that's what he calls us to do in this bond of love, this relationship of love that we have with him. Well, if kindness is caring, we care about God. We don't want to grieve him. We don't want to upset him. We want to please him. Amen? We don't want to do things that are negative in his eyes. We want to do what is positive. Are you breathing? It's, uh, you know, having the Father's love for the Son that I was talking to you a few weeks ago about, really being so pleased for Jesus because of all the good things that happen in people's lives through the sacrifice of his blood and so on and the outpouring of his Spirit. But of course we are to be kind, therefore, to one another. But you see, in loving one another, we not only give, but we also receive. If you're not humble enough to receive from others, then you are preventing them from fulfilling God's command for them to love you. So we express our kindness in the way we care for one another and the things we do for one another because we care about one another. We don't treat people as they deserve, we treat them with kindness. And you are prepared to let others treat you with kindness. 
not being proud. I can do it. I don't need any help. It's all right. Because some people are very <laughs> independent like that, aren't they? You see, the world, the world says, uh, if I do something for you, you've got to do something for me. That's how people in the world think. So if I let you do something for me, that puts me in an, under an obligation to do something for you. That's worldly thinking. But it's not kingdom thinking. The kingdom thinking is, if you do something to express God's love and kindness for me, that's fine. But that doesn't mean I have to immediately, oh, how can I pay you back? No, what matters is that I express that kindness towards somebody else. Not necessarily towards the one that has blessed me. If I'm blessed by somebody, I need to bless others. But it's not that I'm therefore under an obligation to bless that person back. Are you there? This is very important because we don't think and work as the world does. Amen? We, are, we have kingdom thinking and we're acting in kingdom ways. So we want to be kind to one another and receive kindness from one another because they care for us. And of course, this means that if we really do love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we do care about them. We care about their welfare. We care about if there's anything we can do to express not our kindness, but God's kindness, the kindness of the Holy Spirit towards them. Then the scripture says, Love doesn't envy. Uh, last week, I was teaching you and reminding you students yesterday morning about the first minute, how in the first minute we can stand before God, made totally holy, righteous, perfect forever, and blameless in his sight, and so on. Because that's what he made us the first minute of our Christian lives. So when we, when, you know, before we pray or before we worship, as we remember that we, we stand before God, before his throne, we're, we're not standing in a worship hall in, in Horsham, but we're, we're standing before the throne of God because he has equipped us, he has done everything necessary to enable us to do that. Uh, that's, that, that's obviously the expression of, of his love. But because that is true for all of us, we never need to envy anybody else. You see, if, if God has given us all things in Christ, everything that the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit makes known to us, if God has enriched us in every way, if, if we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he shared the poverty of our humanity so that through his poverty we may be made rich. If we have Christ in us, then we have all the blessings of heaven. God has blessed us in heaven with, with, with every spiritual blessing, uh, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So what is there to be envious about? You see, you can see something in someone else 
But you have all the riches and resources that God has made available for him to reproduce in you whatever you can see in others of his life, of his blessings, of his provision, that you at this time may not have. So instead of being envious, we, we um, actually can be encouraged to really depend upon God and to receive from God whatever we need so there's no need to be envious. Amen? And the Holy Spirit, you see, is poured into our lives so that we do not need to be envious of anyone. Uh, sometimes people are envious because of the position they're given in the life of the church or, or in some other way. But God puts us in the place of his appointing, according to scripture, yes? And we have to prove faithful in little things before he puts us in charge of greater things. So if you see God exalting someone else, it's because they have proved faithful and God has chosen to do that, or they have been humble because God exalts, he lifts up the humble. So we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and then we won't need to be envious. So you see, all these things have, have effect upon relationship with God as well as relationship with one another. We will not envy if we remain humble before God because then he is able to pour into our lives all that he wants to and he's able to raise us up and put us into whatever position is his will for us. Are you breathing? Okay, so we're not going to be envious of one another. It is not proud. Now, uh, oh sorry, this one out. It does not boast and is not proud. Let's take those two together. You can see envy, boasting, pride, they, they all have a relationship. One leads to another, leads to another. What have we got to boast about if apart from Christ we can do nothing? You see, if we start to boast, then we're denying that whatever good things God has given us or does in us or does through us are the work of God. They're not our works. It always interests me that as you read the Gospels, Jesus never, ever, ever talked about himself in terms of what he had done. He didn't boast about, you know, the miracles that he'd performed or, or, or the number of people he blessed or anything like that. He always saw every situation as being in the present. Okay, praise God for all he's done in the past, but what matters is what is happening now. But what the, what the scripture says we can do is we can boast in the Lord. We can boast about what he has done. Amen. We can boast when 
that is not an attempt to exalt ourselves, but actually to encourage others, to encourage their faith. This is the value of testimony. It's very important that when we give testimony, we're doing it out of humble hearts, not boastful hearts. Look at the way God used me. That is not the way to give testimony because you want all the glory to go to God. You want the whole emphasis to be upon what God is able to do and what God desires to do out of his love and grace and mercy for his people. So boasting, of course, comes out of pride. Pride is always the worst sin because the, the danger with pride is it opens the door to the devil. You see, Lucifer used to lead the worship in heaven, didn't he? And then he got thrown out. Why? Because of pride. What was Adam's sin? Pride. He chose himself in, uh, instead of God. When he looked at Eve, he said, I'll have Eve rather than God. Pride. Pride puts self at the center. Anything we do that comes out of self is an expression of pride. So it's putting self above God. And that is, I mean, <laughs> if we have Christ in us and we do things ourselves, that's pride rather than trusting in the one who lives within us who is so much greater than we are. So <clears throat> love is not proud in that negative sense. Uh, there is a different kind of pride that, that is not negative. You know, you can be proud of your wife, proud of your children, uh, all, all that kind of thing, and everybody knows what you mean. You, you, it means that you, you, you just love them lots. But that, that's not the pride that's being spoken of here. This is the pride that puts self at the center. We also, of course, are allowed, as we saw the other day, to boast about our weakness, so that the power of God may rest upon us. But if we're boasting about our weakness, we're certainly not exalting self. But we're acknowledging, apart from him, I can do nothing. But because my faith is in him, all things are possible. So we're allowed to boast about the Lord, but we're not allowed to boast about ourselves. And let's face it, people who boast about themselves are a great big turn-off for everybody else. Everybody else hates to hear people boasting. Uh -huh. Because it's the very opposite of love. So, love is not proud, love does not boast, it is not rude. Do you realize that in all his relationship with you and all that he needs to sort out in your life, he has never been rude to you? He has never been rude about you. 
He's never spoken to anybody else in a rude way about you. And I would expect that you would never be rude in the way you talk to God or the way you talk about God. You say, well, you know, that just wouldn't be on. Who am I to be rude to God? Some people are, of course. When they blame him for things that are not him. You, you know, there's a, the, the, there's a great big deception. People often quote, if, if something goes wrong, somebody dies or something like this, you know. They, they quote Job, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. As if, well, now that sort of justifies what happens in the situation. But Job was wrong in saying that. You see, and the rest of the book of Job is a demonstration of how wrong Job was in his, in, in his opening statement, because this is right at the beginning. The Lord gave, but it was the devil that took away. God didn't take away. Everything that, every, all the negative things that happened to Job were the work of the devil, not God. And if you, if you read the last chapter of Job, you see that God puts the record straight. So, you know, don't, don't misquote or, or quote scripture out of context or make it mean something that in its context it doesn't mean. So God always wants to give, the devil always wants to take away, because he's, he's a thief who steals. What do thieves do? They want to steal, they want to take away. Are you there? God gives life, the devil wants to take life away. God gives love, the devil wants to do everything that is in opposition to love. You don't need rocket science to understand that. So love is not rude. So God is never rude to you. You normally, I think, would not want to be ever rude to God. But if that's true of our relationship with God, then it's going to be true of our attitude to others. We're not rude to them. Or rude about them behind their backs. Hello? Just remember that God hears what you say in secret just as much as he hears what you say in relationship. Hello? God even knows what you think before you say it. He even knows what you think if you still do not say it. Because the scripture is clear that he knows all our thoughts. Now sometimes we might need to have a conversation out of concern for someone, but concern is not the same as rudeness. Rudeness is very negative. And you know when people are being rude to you or rude about you. And negative things always have a negative effect unless those that are on the receiving end take the shield of faith with which they're able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. But rudeness is a fiery dart of the evil one. 
So you don't want your mouth or your attitude to be a work of the devil, do you? You see, everything God does, everything, listen, everything God does, everything he says comes out of love. God cannot do anything unless it comes out of his love because he will never deny his own nature. And it's his nature to love. So are we getting something from all this? So, love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. Because you see, all these things, boast, pride, rudeness, they all come out of a focus on self and actually thinking that we are better than others. Mm -hmm. I mean, I pray God that we will have such a move of his spirit that his holiness will come upon us and we will just be worshipping, living in holiness in a way that I know is possible but that only God can do. The most difficult thing in a move like that is that your spiritual perception is heightened and you can see, like God can see, so much about other people that Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to see. But without judging them. That's the thing. I mean, this is the amazing thing about God. He has suspended judgment. In his love, he knows absolutely everything about us. Everything that's wrong. Everything that needs to be sorted. Everything that doesn't glorify him. But he still does not judge us. You see? And, and part of pride, part of self-seeking, is seeking the fulfillment of what we want rather than what God wants. It's seeking to exalt self. It's, it comes out of a feeling, I've got to establish myself, I've got to make my mark, I've got to, uh, I, I've got to make uh, a statement about myself. No, no, no. Jesus says we've got to lose ourselves. Hello? If we're really going to follow him, we've got to deny ourselves, not seek that fulfillment of self. The, the devil is very good at um, getting people to focus on things that they would, people would describe as self-fulfillment. You know, you have a desire, there's something you really want to do or, or, or whatever, and you get the impression, I will only be really fulfilled if that desire is fulfilled. That's the devil's trap, right? Because the only way in which you will ever be truly fulfilled is by doing the will of God. When you seek self-fulfillment, self-seeking like that, you are never ever satisfied. There's always more, there's always more. Because it's really a work of the enemy. And you can't, you can't be open for a work of the enemy and ever find fulfillment. It's a trap, you know? Like rich people, 
if they've got plenty of money, buy this and you'll be fulfilled. And they buy it and they're not fulfilled. So they buy something else and they're still not fulfilled. Or they spend their money in some other way and they're still not fulfilled. Because you can never be fulfilled through money. And a lot of very wealthy people die. Some, or a lot of them even commit suicide because they can never find fulfillment. Because they've always been looking for it in the wrong place. Amen? So we will never find fulfillment by seeking to do what we want. You will only find fulfillment in doing what God wants. Because that's the kind of creature you are now. You, you, you are a new person, a new creation, with a divine spirit living within you. You have a divine nature. So the only way in which you can be truly fulfilled is by fulfilling that divine nature. Amen? Now, when you fulfill that divine nature, your self-nature, your, your self-life, might get frustrated because <laughs> you might have to deny yourself in order to do what God wants. But you see, if you satisfy self, then you're going to frustrate the divine nature. And who knows it's better to deny self than frustrate the divine nature of Christ in us. I did come to the right address this morning, did I? Are you there? I mean, this is just very practical stuff. It's lovely for us to get before God and to worship him and praise him and all the rest. But it is not, love is not easily angered. There's a one for some people. I've had some people pray for me and say, oh, you know, I'm a very angry person. Will you pray for me, for, for God to, to really deal with my anger? I say, no. No, I won't pray for you for that. And they say, well, why not? Because I say, it wouldn't work. The only thing that will work is, is for you to be filled with the Spirit and to be submitted to the Spirit, then you won't be so angry. You see, all these qualities come out of our submission to the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit, but if we don't submit ourselves to the Spirit, then these qualities will not be expressed in our lives. Amen? So, it's never very wise to be angry with God. Hello? And the amazing thing is God promises in his word that he will never be angry with us. That there's no condemnation for us, neither will he be angry with us. That's amazing because I think sometimes what we do, we, we really deserve him to be angry, but he doesn't deal with us as we deserve. He deals with us in his love and in his mercy and in his grace. Amen? So, it is not easily angered. We're not, we've got no right to be angry with God. He never is angry with us. So we have no right to be angry with others. I think, you see, there's lots of situations that can arise in our lives where in the na in natural, 
if, if, if we just obeyed our natural feelings, we would be angry. But actually, if we look at that same situation in the spirit, we won't be angry, we'll probably be sad. You see, if somebody does something to you that is really negative, in your soul, you would, might be angry, but spiritually, you'd be sad for that person. Because what they've done is not right. And therefore, there is something not right in their relationship with God that has then overflowed into their relationship with you. So instead of being angry with them, you're sad, and out of that sadness, you pray for them. Are you there? Um, certainly, if, if there's ever a situation that you need to sort out with someone, never, ever react. Never do it when, if you react with anger. Just go away, calm down, pray, get to the point where you really are concerned about the person rather than yourself and what they've done to you, and then go to them and put things right, say, you know, I'm so sorry, but what you said and what you did made me feel angry. Please forgive me. So, well, wait a minute, they're the one that's done something wrong. No, you've done something wrong. Put that right first, and then they will be open for whatever is wrong in their uh, circumstances to be put right. But if you go to someone with a sense of judgment, then hmm, the whole situation is only going to get worse, not better. Why? Because we're being disobedient. God tells us not to judge. So it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, come on. This is so, it's so, 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 so important. Do you understand God keeps no record of wrongs. Look, everything he's, everything he's forgiven in your life is obliterated in the sight of God. It no longer exists. It isn't that he says, well, I'll forgive you, but just wait till the day of judgment. Then I'll get hold of you. I'll catch up with you then. All these things that you should... No, 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 no. There'll be no mention of those things on the day of judgment because they no longer exist. And there are so many scriptures that confirm that for us. But you see, <clears throat> just as that's the way God forgives us, so that's the way we forgive one another. Now, I'm not saying that's always easy. But you've probably heard people say, well, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. In that case, you haven't forgiven. <coughs> Hello? If you forgive someone, you forget it. And your relationship with that person is not impaired by what you had to forgive. Hello? This is true forgiveness. You see, God forgives you, and once he's forgiven you, there's nothing impairing your relationship with him, nothing hindering your relationship with him. But if we forgive, but we don't forget, 
that relationship is going to be hindered. Are you hearing this? So we keep no record of wrongs. You know, a number of people have said to me, you ought to write an autobiography and just of all the things that God has done in your ministry. I said, no, I can't do that. And they said, why not? I said, well, if I was to write a book like that, I would have to talk about the problems, not just about all that God has done. You, I'd have to give a real account of what had happened. And I can't do that because there have been too many people that I've had to forgive. Because, you know, the more God uses you, the more opposition you get and so on. So, and, and if I've forgiven people, I can't write about what they did. I can't actually record what they did that was wrong, then everybody would know what they had done. You see, you can hear me say that I've suffered all kinds of... If you, you would probably be amazed. I could probably keep you stunned from here till lunchtime, just telling you some of the things that people have done to try to undermine or even stop my ministry. But I can't do that. Because... If I was to do that, I would undo the forgiveness that I've given them. So you've never, you hear me, you hear me talk about good things God has done for his glory to encourage you, but you've never heard me to speak about any of those other things. Never. I can't. I wouldn't. But this is, this is where we have to be careful that when we've forgiven someone, we don't then go and tell everybody else what it is we've forgiven. Because when you do that, you're rubbishing somebody else in the eyes of other people. Hello. Now, especially when you're in leadership, sometimes you have to have a conversation because you're concerned about someone. But that's not, you know, come, uh, between, between leaders, for example. But that's not the same thing. Because what you want to do is to see something positive happening in the life of that person that is going to change the situation, the circumstances. But love keeps no record of wrongs. Absolutely amazing. Amen? Love does not delight in evil. Some sin is pleasurable, which is why people do it. Can you understand that the only sin that persists in your life is the sin that you still love? If you hated it, you wouldn't do it. So any sin that persists in our life is an expression of love of self. There is still some love of self in the negative sense. So <clears throat> love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil because God hates evil. 
He loves righteousness, hates evil. Jesus was raised with joy above his companions, it says in Hebrews 1, because he loved righteousness but hated evil. You see, we cannot have a powerful effect upon people that are living in evil if actually we compromise with any form of evil ourselves. Can we see that? Evil, I think evil, you think of evil being something really, really bad. You know, grievous, horrendous sin is evil. But to God, telling a lie is evil. Why? Because the devil is the father of all lies. You tell a lie, it's evil. He doesn't have the same estimate of what is evil as we do. Anything that is not righteous is evil. Any form of unrighteousness is evil. So we don't delight in evil. And everybody said amen. But we rejoice with the truth. And if we walk in the truth, then we're going to walk in love, we're going to walk in his life, we're going to walk in his love, we're going to walk at one with God. And this is, you see, love doesn't just deal with the negative. Love creates the positive within us. So that love, we hate evil because that love gives us a love for righteousness, a love to please God, a love for what is right in his eyes. Out of love, we want to please him. Out of love, we want to fulfill his will for our lives. Just in case any of you were wondering, this is a revival message this morning. You see, in revival, God reproduces this, this quality in people beyond what is normally seen in church life. It's the work of the Spirit. So it rejoices with the truth. Because if we're walking in the truth, then we're walking in freedom. Amen? The only, the only reason for a cause like freedom exists is because people aren't walking in the truth. So over the course of the week, the 12 weeks, and then the weekend, people's lives come more in line with the truth. That's the value of it. <clears throat> but of course, if everybody was walking in line with the truth anyway, there wouldn't be a need for freedom course. Hello? So it serves that godly purpose. Okay, so love rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Now, you first-year students, you're going to uh, have um, a course of lectures about covenant, about the covenant relationship that we have with one another because of the covenant relationship we have with God. Part of that covenant is that we, we, we always protect God, one another, why? God always protects us. The scripture says he is a wall of protection around us. There's all kinds of, I mean, I know there's been a number of occasions when if it wasn't for the protection of the Lord, the devil would have killed me. Just to try to end my ministry. 
uh, he is a wall of protection around us. Sometimes you don't even realize until after the event, wow, that was the protection of God. You see, out of his love, he always protects us. Out of our love for him, we want to protect his reputation when people are trying to rubbish God and speak against his will and purpose. Our love for him is protective in that sense. But our love for one another, you see, we will protect one another. If, if somebody comes to you and they start to speak critically about another brother or sister in Christ, you should immediately say, stop, I'm not listening. You're talking about my brother or sister in Christ. I don't care what you think, I will not listen. Uh, you see, it's because Christians do listen that then gossip grows and you can have all kinds of untrue things being said, especially in a group of people like a congregation. You can have untrue, negative things said about a person, often a person in leadership, just spreads like gangrene through the body. And, and it's all come out of a lie. But if Christians are not living in their covenant with one another, they listen to the lie and then pass the lie on to someone else. Because they're being disobedient to the word. Love protects. Love does not gossip. Love does not rubbish others. Love does not pass on other things without even checking out as to whether it's true or not. Just because somebody says something to you about someone else doesn't mean it's true. They might have heard it from someone else and they never checked it out. This is, this, it, but it's things like this that cause divisions in churches. Whole groups of people can leave a church because one person started a lie which then others have passed on. And the lie grows. And then people get all proud and think, huh, you know, they know better than... Often it's about people in leadership. That, that's, you see, the devil divides. The Holy Spirit unites. But the devil divides. And one of the ways in which he brings division is through his lies. He is a liar. He is the father of all lies. So love always protects. And if we, if we really are living in, in, in this covenant love with one another, you will protect others from the negative things that other people will say. Say, no, it's no use, I'm not listening. You're talking about my brother who I love or my sister who I love. I'm not listening. Are you there? One of the things I, I loved about living in community is everybody spoke positively about everybody else. If anybody had said anything negative about anybody, it would have stood out so, so much, it would have, everybody would have gone <coughs> I only wish the same was true of 
general church life. I'm not just talking about kingdom faith, I'm talking about everywhere. Okay, it always protects, always trusts. Love always trusts. Always trusts. Always. Always protects. Not just sometimes, always. Always trusts. So in his love for you, God trusts you. He has entrusted his spirit to you. He has given you his word. He trusts you to fulfill what he says in the power of the spirit he has given you. When we get off course, we actually are betraying his trust. Huh? We're betraying his trust. Not clever. We don't see things like that. Our trust needs to be in him, obviously. Our faith, our dependence needs to be in him. But these qualities of love are fruit of the Spirit. And he will enable us, oh, but wait a minute, Pastor, I've been failed so many times, probably not as many times as people have failed me over the years, because I've been around a bit longer than you. I've lost count of the number of Christians that have failed me. Supposing one of you failed me, would I kick you out of the college or off the team? Well, probably there'd be precious few left on the team if I did, and <laughs> students haven't been here long enough to have failed yet, but... It wouldn't take long, because we often fail. But when we do, that's never an expression of love, because love never fails. So there's no judgment for someone <laughs> who hasn't turned off their phone. <laughs> Hallelujah. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, can you see the relationship between those qualities and what we're talking about love here? Fruit of the Spirit, Paul talks about in Galatians, and the nature of his love, 
It's all the fruit of the Spirit. See, We're talking about the fruit of love this morning. We could go to the Galatians 5 and talk about the nine fruits of the Spirit there. And one, one of those, or part of that fruit, because it's one fruit with nine flavors, isn't it, as people say, um, there is such a fruit. I've had it in Asia. There's, a fr- there's One fruit has nine different flavors. Amazing, isn't it? The Word of God is actually reproduced in creation. I can't remember the name of it now. But um, anyway, uh, faithfulness. God is always faithful to us, isn't he? And boy, don't you, don't you appreciate those who are faithful? Those who are faithful to you? You know? I so appreciate the faithfulness of my wife. All the, all the years that we've been together. You know, faithful in, in loving one another, you know. I don't mean just faith, faithful in relationships, but there's so many aspects of faithfulness. <clears throat> so God is faithful and he wants us to be faithful obviously in our walk with him, but he wants us to be faithful with one another. Are you breathing? Yes. So, to be faithful is to be full of faith. And the difficult thing, humanly speaking, is when someone has failed you to trust them again. That is not easy. But in love, you do, because, you see, you want to help that person get over the fact that they failed in their faithfulness to you, and showing, you, showing them that you're willing to trust them is an important part of that. Now, you will sometimes have characters that will abuse that, and they will fail you again and again and again. But that does not excuse you. Because so often, when you do trust again someone who fails you, you will enable them to get over that failure and actually to become more faithful people as a result. So just because we experience various people who... um, you know, take us for granted and abuse our goodwill towards them doesn't mean that we shrink back and say, oh, well, you know, I'm just not going to trust anyone. I know it's not always easy, but God doesn't say it's going to be easy. Right, come on, we must finish, so stop holding me up. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Hope relates to the future. Love always has this positive attitude towards the future. And if you love people, you are always wanting the best for them, aren't you? Amen? Our hope is in the Lord because we know that in the future, 
everything that he has promised in his word will be fulfilled. Everything will happen as he has planned and purposed. Then love always perseveres. We don't give up. God has persevered with you. He's never given up. You know, he's never, oh. You know, sometimes you feel yourself, oh, Lord, I've done it again. I've failed you again. And boom, boom, I said I wouldn't do it, and I've done it. But God perseveres in his love, yes? He never gets to the point of saying, oh, I've had enough of you. I'll just wash my hands of you, you know. Go and find something else to do with your life. No, no, he always perseveres in his love. He always perseveres in that truth. If, if there's something that he's saying to you, you know, he will not change his mind. He will not alter his word. He will keep persevering with the truth. Keep persevering with his will, whatever he's commanding you to do, until finally you do it. You, he, he may say it to you half a dozen times and you fail half a dozen times. So he'll, he'll keep on until you pass the test. Because the testing of our faith proves it's genuine. So love perseveres. And we have to persevere in our love for others. Amen? We don't give up. You know, I've told you before, especially when we're living in community, we live with some really objectionable characters, let me tell you. They made it as difficult as possible to be loved. They wanted to try to prove that it was impossible for anybody to love them, simply because nobody ever had managed to love them. And I would say to them, look, it doesn't matter how much you reject us, doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter what you do, we're going to go on loving you. And in the end, love always won. Amen. Always. In every single person's life, love had the victory. You can say that Jesus had the victory because it's his love. Hallelujah. So love always perseveres. And then the final statement, love never fails. God is love. And he never fails. If we loved God perfectly, we would never fail in our love for him. And Jesus made it clear that love for God is expressed in obedience to him, so we, we would be perfectly obedient, you know. But in our love for one another, love never fails. You, if, if you love people, or if you love a particular person, you know, because God has put you in that relationship where you need to express the love of God to them, Love will never fail to have the victory, but you have to persevere. The persevering in love goes with the love never fails. Can you see that? Love will always win the day. Because God will always win the day. And God is love. So, beloved, this is the fruit of love in our lives. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not, all these things are not necessarily mentioned in that list in Galatians, but here, this is the love that God has poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So that love is not just 
feeling love. It's got, actually, if, if you think of all these things that we've talked about this morning, there's nothing really about feelings. Nothing about emotions. It's all about doing. Because the love of God is practical. Or the love of God touches our emotions, but it's not born of our emotions. You can feel love for God, but, but love of God does not come out of feelings. It comes out of the Spirit. So, you may feel love for those that God gives you to love, but there may be lots of people that you have to love that you have no emotional feelings for. Like, you know, I love you students by being here to teach you and, and whatever I need to do in my life so that I'm in the right place with the Lord so that this teaching will be effective and God will move in your lives. But I have no emotional feelings for you whatsoever. Because I don't know you at that level. And I, you know, God doesn't call me and he doesn't call you to have an emotional re um, relationship with me, nor me to have a, an emotional relationship with you. The love of God is not about emotion. It's about what you do. It's about your attitude of heart. It's about how you respond and how you react to people. And you see, it's the same in our relationship with God. Our relationship with God doesn't come out of our feelings for God. Though sometimes you feel love for God. But most days of my life, I don't feel love for God, but I still love him. There are those odd occasions when you're just so overwhelmed with feelings of love for him. But my relationship with him doesn't depend upon those times because if that was the case, I wouldn't be in relationship with him most days. But only on those odd occasions when you, you're just overwhelmed with these feelings of love for God. But it's not about that. So love never fails. And this, is, this needs to be our aspiration, that in our love for God, we will not fail him. One of the things that God regularly encourages me, he says, Colin, I will ensure that you will not fail to fulfill all that I have called you to accomplish, you know, before I die, before I go to be with the Lord. Because sometimes, you know, you feel you're not in a, a, a place with God where you are succeeding in doing what he wants. But he always brings us round to the place where we will not fail. So let me just finish by saying, you see, all this, all this comes out of our submission to him, our surrender to him. Those of you who are going to do your letter to Jesus this morning. Pray your letter to Jesus this morning. You're surrendering to love. You're not surrendering to a judge who's keeping a record of what you do all the time. No, no, no. You're surrendering to love.
And the more you're surrendered to love, the more that love will be reproduced in your life. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com. 